Tonight's edition of Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650 is dedicated to the memory of James Harris, also known as Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter who passed away today at the age of 70. From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. And it's just stopped. So let's get fucking like a monkey. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got a journalism for that. With Justin Morissette. All right, my clip is too quiet there. I wanted to play the finale of this past Monday's Raw as uh, MVP picked up the mic and declared, we are the Hurt Business and Brother Business is booming. I disagree, MVP. I disagree. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. Thrilled to be back with you again this week. Uh, of course, the show preempted last week by the fact that the Canucks and Wild kicked off their playoff series this past Sunday night. And, uh, of course, the game carried over into the 10 o'clock hour, and we had post game for hours and hours after that as well. So no Wrestle Central last week. Did not want to bring the show to you uh, live after the Canucks post game show went off the air, you know, sometime around 2 a.m. So uh, I am back, happy to be here this week on a week where the Canucks wrapped up their series in about four games and avoided uh, a game five this evening that would have preempted the show for a second consecutive week. I do hope, however, that uh, having been off last week, I did not lose any of the momentum that the show has been carrying because we have been live and interactive every single Sunday, save for last week, for the last several months now, every Sunday night, and I feel like the interactions have been just... uh, you know, they, they have momentum. They are, you know, riding into the SummerSlam weekend hot, uh, having picked up a bunch of wins. Yes, you have been calling and texting the show so much over the last month and a half to two months. I really appreciate it. It feels like the show is gaining traction, and I would love for you to interact with me tonight here as well. If you would like to do so well, there are a couple ways you can do that. You can get at me on Twitter, where uh, you can find me at Justin Morris. That's M-O-R-I-S, the state of course, at Sportsnet 650. You can tweet at either one of those places to uh, get in touch. You can also join in via the text line. 650-650 is the place to have your say on what you saw on wrestling television this week. An up and down week to be sure, and I have plenty of thoughts to share on it as well. If you want to join in on the conversation via the phone line, well, I am happy for you to do that too. All you need to do uh, is hop on the phone. 604 280 is the local number to dial. But of course, we've had a number of international listeners of late, people calling in from right across the continent. Um, And if you want to do that as well, if you are not in Canada, if you are not in the Vancouver area, 
The long distance number to dial, 1-888-275-0650. And I would love to hear from you. Love to take some calls this evening and and hear what the people have to say about, as I said, an up-and-down week in pro wrestling. And look, I don't want to come out swinging at WWE tonight. Uh, I I wasn't necessarily impressed by a number of the things that they instituted in trying to shake things up in terms of presentation, both on Raw and SmackDown this week, but I wasn't down on everything either. Um, I've had some conversations recently with some friends who have been uh, into wrestling for the last several years, but maybe got into it in adulthood and, uh, you know, are starting to feel their allegiances waning. And I can't say that I blame these people necessarily, especially, you know... I think we were treated to a real peak here this decade, uh, in the 2010s, rather, um, that, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know we, we got to see some real great stuff in about 2014, 2015, heck, I'd say even carrying into 2016. Things that give you real faith in the product, things that let you know that when WWE is good, it can be great, and you stick around in faith uh, that it might get back there at some point. I just can't imagine right now getting into the WWE product in the last several years and sticking around in hopes that it might return to past glories because you haven't even really gotten to see past glories, really. This is a product that has been, I think, on the decline, both in terms of, of ratings and general interest, perhaps, over the last several years, probably three years, year over year, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And... When you see the kinds of things that we've seen this week, it is hard to justify that fandom. It is hard to look people in the face and say, oh, yeah, like, I love professional wrestling as an adult, and and this is why. Um, I don't think Raw Underground was necessarily that bad, and I should should probably get into the specifics of what I'm talking about here. WWE tried to change things up. They tried to shake up the presentation in a big way, in two big ways, actually. Of course, uh, we got to see... On uh, Monday night, the debut of a brand new stable and a brand new segment. Let's talk about the segment first. It's called Raw Underground. It is fronted by Shane McMahon, and it was sold to us on Monday afternoon with the promise that Shane is returning to shake things up. He's got an idea, and uh, very quickly after that, the word hit the internet that his idea is just uh, basically instituting a fight club. And that's essentially what it actually was. Uh, But I didn't hate it necessarily. It's called Raw Underground, and it takes over the 10 p.m. hour uh, every single week, I guess, until they drop it, which they might very quickly here, uh, as WWE is wont to do. But in the meantime, it looks like this is going to be a recurring thing on Mondays in the 10 o'clock hour to change things up and keep things exciting, interesting, uh, just add a different flavor, whether that's a visual flavor or a, uh, I guess, texture of the show in general, the way the wrestling is presented, uh, they're looking to spice things up a little bit and make some changes. And look, changes are long overdue. They are. WWE has essentially looked the same for 15 to 20 years now. In fact, if anything, it might look even worse than it looked 20 years ago. That is one of the things that jumped out at me big time when I got back into wrestling uh, in adulthood some, you know, eight years ago now. One of the things that jumped out at me was like, the sets are, are fake. There's nothing real in the backstage area. You know, there's nothing tangible. Every quote unquote office is no longer a real office. It's, uh, 
it's a curtain that's hanging in front of uh, you know whatever they're in the back of an arena. It's a curtain that has a framed poster of the pay per view of the month in front of it, and someone standing looking at their phone in front of a curtain. They call that the GM's office. That's not an office. It looks awful. It's visually drab. It's completely uninteresting. Back in the Attitude Era, you'd have people actually be in dressing rooms, actually be in offices, actually have physical, tangible sets. Sometimes they might even leave the arena. You don't really see that very much anymore. You do need to spice up the way the presentation runs. That was kind of the most exciting thing about Lucha Underground for people who did watch Lucha Underground while it was airing. Uh, you know, I think it fell off a little bit, definitely, in terms of stories uh, as the show went along. Uh, things got a little bit more ridiculous. It was harder to follow. A lot of the people that you loved, as far as the wrestlers went, left the company as well. Some of them, like, for example, uh, Prince Puma, who is also Ricochet, would go on to join WWE. So these guys leaving the company. But the big innovation of Lucha Underground is the way that it looked, the way it was presented, especially in the backstage. It leaned into and embraced the fact that wrestling is a soap opera, and it made the things that took place in the backstage area away from the ring look like a real TV show. I think there is an interesting visual flavor to Raw Underground. I'm not exactly sold on the pure content of it, necessarily. It is basically... Uh, I guess, uh, uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, but adapted to network television, and maybe you throw some some Nitro Girls in there as well. You know, there were go-go dancers dancing on a stage. It looked like the whole thing took place in the back room of a strip club, essentially. But the idea is to get out of a ring and have a little bit more of a gritty presentation and a little bit more of a gritty action style as well. There was not a lot of what we would think of as traditional wrestling in these Raw Underground segments. They were quick and dirty fights that were presented like fights and that were over in about 20 to 40 seconds. Uh, And I actually thought Lance Storm summed up exactly what might be wrong with this segment and this style of presentation perfectly. In an interview that he did uh, earlier this week, he joined <laughs> he joined Brian Alvarez of Figure Four Daily for a Q&A. The fans uh, asked the questions, and one of the questions were, uh, to Lance Storm, what did you think about Raw Underground's debut on Monday? Lance had this to say. going to read a transcript right now from WrestlingNews.co. Nobody has brought up the point that I think is the issue, said Lance Storm. They created a really cool look by having these, let's say, way more violent, way more quick, sudden, big throws, takedown, ground and pound, KOing guys kind of action. It looked exciting. To me, the issue is you debuted it with what I would consider a UFC knockout highlight reel where there were four matches in under two minutes. That's less than 30 seconds of fight. If this gets over, they are in real trouble because the suddenness and the violence of a 30-second first-round KO is great, but you have a three-hour show to fill. If Dolph Ziggler does a great amateur takedown, a go-behind, chokes this guy out, you say, Ziggler looked awesome. Well, yeah, he did, but if he has to do a pro wrestling match on Raw next week and go 12 minutes, I think there is a real fear for what happened to the badass Dolph that can beat a guy in 30 seconds. 
So the double-edged sword is if Raw Underground doesn't get over, then it's a failed concept and it doesn't get over. If it does get over, however, what do you do? You can't do a three-hour show with 30-second fights. If you would have debuted with Chad Gable and Matt Riddle in there and done more of the Josh Barnett Bloodsport-style match where they had a more realistic, more violent, let's say, eight-minute match, then it gets over. You start doing more of that. But when you start with the greatest knockout reel of all time with 20-second finishes... I think you run the risk of anything else seeming long, slow, and dull. That is the analysis of Lance Storm, uh, who was in conversation with Brian Alvarez of Figure Four Daily earlier this week when asked about his thoughts on Raw Underground. And I think Lance kind of nails it. I actually did like the presentation overall. I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, go-go dancers necessarily, but I, I thought this had a neat look. I could do without the music that played over it. I could do without uh, Shane McMahon probably as well with a live mic trying to do live commentary on these 30-second more MMA-style fights. All of that uh, I could take or leave, but the actual look of it, the actual texture. There's too many camera cuts, definitely, and that's been a a consistent issue with WWE over the years, even the stuff that they present in-ring, never mind the stuff they present outside of it. You know, I don't think more, uh, I don't think any of these camera angles lasted for more than like eight seconds, if even. It's a show that uh, moved very, very quickly as far as cuts go, and it's disorienting, I think. But did it hold the rating on Monday? It did. The third hour held better than it has in a very long time. Women were more interested in sticking around to watch than they have been in a very long time. There were a number of things in the ratings as far as what WWE is looking at for trends on how this was received and whether or not they should take it forward uh, going forward week over week that, you know, did resonate. There's a lot of reasons to feel uh, optimistic if you're looking at the numbers in week one for WWE about how Raw Underground performed. I don't think, uh, well, I guess the real test is week two because this was sold as being a very dynamic change and a surprise one at that. Raw was sold to us on Monday afternoon with the promise of Shane McMahon debuting something new, a big announcement that will shake up Raw to its very core. And we also were told about something else that I want to segue into talking about here now uh, that I thought under-delivered enormously. Uh, And that was the teased debut. Uh, Well, we did get the debut in earnest on Monday, and it continued into SmackDown on Friday, but it was teased in advance. Uh, We were told on Monday afternoon via WWE social media that a new faction would be debuting on Raw that very night with the same idea as Shane McMahon and what he was debuting, which is that this was supposed to change the very foundations of WWE, out to uh, upset the apple cart, as it were, and and really turn things around here. Uh, That faction, we have come to learn, has a name. They are called Retribution. And oh boy, is it dead on arrival. It is so, so bad. It really is. This is a faction that... Uh, has been designed to basically be uh, like Antifa invading the WWE. They look like they are a part of uh, Akira Tozawa's crew of ninjas dressed in all black, like they just picked up some leftover ninja costumes. Uh, And it's a very cartoonish idea of what disruption is. And it shouldn't surprise us 
that you know this is uh, <laughs> what a crazy old man thinks uh, you know a leftist protest looks like I guess uh, you know especially on Smackdown they came out at the end of the show after the main event had finished and then destroyed the show uh, literally and figuratively in that it was so stupid it killed my interest going forward killed my interest in them as a faction entirely uh, they charged the ring with a chainsaw and a member of the group uh, took that chainsaw to the ropes of the ring, destroyed the ring while he was uh, loudly cheered on by uh, the rest of the crew. This looks like it's a faction of five people. It's impossible to tell who's even in the group. There's definitely one woman. Uh, it's even hard to tell if any of the people that we're looking at as far as who's wearing the costumes and who's you know, loudly yelling and laughing every time their, their buddy creates some sort of chaos... Uh, if those people are even going to be part of the group when they are finally unmasked. It is entirely possible that everything we're looking at right now with regards to retribution is a red herring. And if you're WWE, you should hope that is the case because this landed just like a wet fart, basically. Absolutely awful. And when you look at the way that big-time factions have debuted and and who they have left in their wake to really signal that this is something important. I mean, let's go back 10 years to the way Nexus debuted on the main roster. They came out and they leveled everybody. They destroyed the entire main event scene of WWE, an entire group of new people from NXT that were here to signal the arrival of a new generation of talent. How did they signal that arrival? By decimating the old generation. By showing us that people were here that are stronger and better and, you know, more able than the people that we've been watching on TV for the last several years who are not necessarily holding our interest at the moment. Skip forward from Nexus to The Shield. How did The Shield debut? Well, they debuted in the main event of a pay-per-view by triple powerbombing Ryback through a table and allowing CM Punk to pick up a victory by pinning John Cena, having taken Ryback out of the equation. Now, if you're a little bit newer to the business, perhaps, you might not think that that sounds like a big deal. You might think that Ryback is uh, a bit of a joke of a guy who, uh, you know, believes in the secret and so on, etc. Uh, Ryback was a huge deal. At the time the Shield debuted, Ryback might have been one of the most over new characters that we had seen in a very long time. So big, in fact, that a brand new debuting stable of three people that includes Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and now John Moxley had to be used to take this guy out. It was a huge debut for the Shield, even if they felt like, you know, the underlings of CM Punk on some level. You could tell that there were huge designs on all three of these guys. They would all be big deals. They absolutely are big deals. Hey, you know, John Moxley might be the biggest deal right now, and he had to leave WWE to prove that. Uh, but, you know, this is the way you debut things to make them feel impactful. And personally, I don't know about you out there, but when I heard that there was a new stable debuting on WWE TV this week, well, yes, it upped my interest in wanting to watch WWE TV this week, to watch Raw on Monday night at a time where, look, there's a lot of hockey on TV. And even if you're not a hockey fan, take your pick of sports. This is the biggest sporting month of all time. You have the NBA playoffs just kicking up. 
You have the Stanley Cup playoffs that are about to begin this week with the qualifying rounds out of the way. Baseball's regular season is in full swing. There are more sports running at the moment and more, uh, you know, not just running, but running in important times than we basically ever see at any point. And certainly, uh, you know, never, never in August do we see things like this. This is a time when WWE should be ramping up towards SummerSlam. But if anything, their television feels like it's de-escalating, like it gets worse and worse and less important week after week. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. So pleased to have you with me here this evening. And look, if you thought there were good things about Raw Underground, if you liked it, uh, if you hated it, if you thought that uh, you know some of the angles on Raw were not as bad as perhaps I am intimating, if you didn't hate Retribution as much as I do, uh, then I would love to hear from you. 650-650 is the text line. You can get at me that way on the Sportsnet text line, or you can give me a call, 280-604, or rather 604-280-0650. Uh, give me a call, jump on the phone lines, and tell me what you thought of the TV this week. Because, look, I, didn't, I, I thought I just outlined two massive debuts for two major stables that completely upset uh, the status quo of WWE. Even if Nexus didn't take off the way it was supposed to, it had a hot start. They certainly nailed that element of it, even if it fizzled perhaps down the stretch. Retribution has fizzled from the start. These guys look like jokes. Every single one of them looks like they're under five feet tall. It's a group full of midgets. You know, El Torito may as well be one of the guys under the mask. You may as well be unmasking Hornswoggle as the leader of Antifa, basically, from what I saw, certainly on Friday Night SmackDown when they ran out there and destroyed the ring with a chainsaw. It's ridiculous. They, they come across like a band of jobbers. They make the Dark Order look like the Ministry of Darkness. So no, I, am, I do not have faith that Retribution is going to turn out to be something worthwhile. Uh, they, I know what we're getting right now is just teasing us to come back for more. But personally, there was nothing that I saw on Monday Night Raw that made me look forward to tomorrow night's Raw. Save for, look, there's a couple things that are going very well on WWE TV now. It's not all doom and gloom, even if it does feel like a chore to watch it every week. What's going on with Sasha Banks and Bayley feels like tremendous television every single week. Bayley has been one of the quarantine MVPs of the crowd-free COVID era unquestionably Bailey, one of the best wrestlers of the year for men or women, just in terms of pure entertainment value and what she has contributed to the television during this very difficult time, these unprecedented times. Uh, <laughs> there's no question. Bailey's been great and Sasha's been great and everything that those two are doing feels must see. I also have a ton of time for everything going on with Randy Orton right now, which feels insane to say. That in 2020, a guy that I've never really bought into as a pure top guy is, to me, delivering some of the most entertaining stuff in the business right now, consistently week after week, no matter who he's against, no matter what's going on. Even going all the way back to last year, the program that he had with Kofi Kingston, which was, to me, a feud that never really delivered necessarily in the ring, but always delivered on the mic. It's been more than a year of red-hot, absolute fire promos week after week after week from Randy Orton. And this coming Monday, he goes head-to-head with Kevin Owens in the ring. That's a match I want to see. 
That's two guys that I'm very into. You have people on this roster that I am so invested in. It shouldn't be this hard to talk me into wanting to watch WWE programming right now. But it is. It is. And look, there was some other stuff that I really enjoyed on Raw. I really enjoyed Samoa Joe standing up at the announce table and getting in the face of Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy and telling them, if you got a problem... With Tom Phillips, then you got a problem with me. And you're going to have to come through me to get at him. Samoa Joe standing up at the announce table and taking his jacket off and talking a big game and puffing his chest out and trying to be intimidating, I felt the electricity in that moment. I got thrills and chills. Whatever the good form of chills is, you know, when you feel that tingle in your bones. Electric. That's what I felt watching Samoa Joe in that moment. And I, I love what they're doing with Dominic. They are making Dominic Mysterio feel like a big deal. They are debuting him in the right way by throwing him into the deep end head first. That's sometimes the best way to do it. Hopefully, I hope he picks up the win. He's got a big match at SummerSlam. Uh, but there are a lot of people who feel down about that, too, that this is a guy who has never worked a match before, really, uh, in WWE. He's been training for a good long while, and you can tell because he's slimmed down enormously relative to the way he looked last year when he started to debut by accompanying his father to Raw tapings. I'm excited to see what he does in his debut, and I think Seth Rollins has been a perfect villain to build this guy up. He is giving back to that next wave not just by welcoming guys like Buddy Murphy into his entourage and giving them a role on television week after week, but by giving Dominic Mysterio a monster villain to chase after in his first debut feud. All of that is good. There's a ton of good stuff I can point to in WWE right now. But when I think of it, I don't think of those things. I think of Raw Underground. I think of (laughs) Retribution. I think of all the goofy stuff, the goofy bleep that they threw at the wall this week in hopes that something would stick. And these are all ideas that came up late last week. This is not something that has been planned for a long time that they finally instituted, that they were waiting for the right moment. No. The idea for Raw Underground started last Wednesday and it debuted on television on Monday. They are desperate. They are looking at sagging ratings, some of the lowest they've ever seen, and trying to come up with ways to revitalize the product. As I mentioned, you can have your say on the show this evening. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and I want to hear from you. Either give me a call at 604-280-0650 or shoot me a text at 650-650, and we will take a look. Right now, at that text line, the first one comes to us from Lorne in Victoria, who wants to sound off on Raw Underground. Lorne says, the biggest problem with Raw Underground is you're telling viewers that this is real fighting and it's dangerous and should be taken seriously. Then you're returning back to pro wrestling, which is now made to look less legitimate by comparison. I understand throwing out new concepts, out there uh, with your eyes closed and fingers crossed in hopes of a ratings boost, but this ain't it, Chief. That text from Lorne in Victoria and Lorne, uh, I do agree. You've given me a lot to think about here. Give me one second while I take a brief sip of water and then respond. 
Sorry, talking by myself for 27 minutes straight can get a little bit exhausting. But I do think you're right, Lauren. There is definitely something to that idea, which I was surprised by even that there was even uh, you know normal wrestling going on in the final hour of Raw. I watched Raw uh, earlier this afternoon, actually. I did not watch it on Monday. I've been preoccupied with hockey all week long. Very thankful that the Canucks ended their series on Friday night so that I had time to dive into wrestling and that I have the airtime to come bring you this show this evening. But in diving into Raw later in the week, I'd already heard so much about uh, the segment, of course, of Raw Underground. I'd seen a bunch of videos. I'd seen photos of Shane McMahon kind of boredly looking at his watch as part of the promo imagery, and you can see that photo uh, on our Twitter feed right now at Sportsnet 650. Uh, but I was shocked. I, I came into that show expecting Shane McMahon to be kind of holding back what he was doing until the 10 o'clock hour, and by the time we got to 10 p.m., it was going to be nothing but raw underground for the entire hour. That It would be a kind of airwave takeover, that they would have this sort of... Uh, illegal underground alt stream sort of feel, feel to it, uh, that, that it would just be that, that that would dominate the entire 10 to 11 o'clock hour. But that's not how it went. Like Lance Storm said, we got these 30-second knockouts, which were fun on some level, uh, and then Shane would be like, and stick around because we got more Raw Underground coming back later. And then we went back to the ring for normal matches on Raw. And there is this weird dissonance, I think, that Lorne touches on in his text message. You cannot say, this is real gritty and dangerous, and then return to the ring and say, and uh, now we got Montez Ford taking on uh, Anel Garza, or Angel Garza, rather. And, uh, you know, we're going to watch this match where uh, Montez gets poisoned in the middle of it and collapses in the ring. Are you seeing a guy drinking poison from a cup and collapsing unconscious and getting pinned on Raw Underground? No, you're not, because that's real action, player. That's where the big boys play. Uh, you know, we saw goofy soap opera stuff in the ring and real hard, gritty action backstage. There's something not quite right that doesn't quite sit right with the way those two things line up. I got another text here from friend of the show, Aldo Montoya. Just incredible a texture this guy is. Uh, he says, what's up, Justin? I got two predictions for you. Which do you think might be more plausible? One, Alexa Bliss goes heel and joins Bray. She could be a Sister Abigail-esque character who can control the fiend. Or two, Shayna Baszler joins the Hurt Business. The group needs a woman, and she would be a cool fit. A text from Aldo Montoya. Although I got to tell you, I don't really see either of things happening necessarily. Uh, but if one of them were to happen, I would think that it would be uh, your second option there, Shayna Baszler joining the Hurt Business. I, I didn't want to be down on Raw this week. I didn't want to come on the air and make fun of the Hurt Business in particular for saying business is booming at a time when, fellas, I tell you, it is not. You would not be throwing uh, al dente noodles at the wall hoping one of them sticks if business was booming at the moment. The very debut of Raw Underground would seem to intimate that business is very much not booming, in fact. But I did watch Raw two weeks ago for the first time in a little while, and I loved it. I was, I've, I'm someone who's been 
cynical on the show since Paul Heyman was cast out. I thought Heyman was really rounding into form and giving us a show week after week that delivered real valuable entertainment. And then he was fired at the height of his powers, basically, uh, and replaced by Bruce Pritchard, and a completely different booking philosophy has taken over Raw since then. But when I watched Raw, I guess now three weeks ago, the episode where the Hurt Business debuted as a stable... I loved it. I thought every single segment on that show had purpose. You got a ton of characters over. You established a brand new stable in the Hurt Business. You've been establishing new stables kind of all year long and getting back to the fact that working in groups and pack mentality gets multiple guys over at the same time, which is so valuable when you are trying to establish a brand new crop of stars. I liked a lot of that. I liked the fact that M- Mustafa Ali was re-debuted on Raw in a very big, significant way. He felt like a big deal. I liked that. But I tuned in to watch Raw this past week. Where was Mustafa Ali? Not to be found. Couldn't even get onto the three-hour show. And when I looked into things even further, oh boy, did I not like what I learned. Mustafa Ali this week, jobbing to Riddick Moss on main event. Not only can he not get on the show, he cannot pick up a win. This is a guy who was re-debuted two weeks ago! Two weeks ago! Come on! Come on! You're not going to find anything for this guy to do two weeks into his big return? Jobbing him out to Riddy Moe? Are you kidding me? So yeah, there's a lot to not like in WWE at the moment, but the Hurt Business, I like their debut. <laughs> I'm getting off track here with my complaints. What I do like, though, uh, Aldo Montoya, in your text message there, I do like the idea of uh, a woman in that stable, because I think that's not something that we see enough of right now. The idea that a stable would have a finger in every pie, a representative in each division, And so often groups do do this where they have a main event talent and a tag team and an undercard guy so that you can represent that stable in each of the male divisions on television. But we forget about the women's division altogether. You know, even a a stable that did have that sanity. That's where Nikki Cross comes from. Nikki Cross was not allowed to travel up to the main roster when sanity got called up. Maybe that's for the best for her in the long term because... WWE didn't do anything with that stable on the main roster either. I couldn't even tell you where Killian Dane is right now or what he's doing. Uh, But Eric Young is back in impact, I guess. Uh, Regardless, I do think that's something that should be looked at. And that's something that I thought has worked really well about AEW lately, folks. The fact that the Dark Order feels legit right now. The Dark Order is shining like diamonds. Anna Jay is in the Dark Order now. Colt Cabana is teasing being a part of the Dark Order, but that's exactly what Aldo Montoya was talking about there. You have a foothold now in every division. Anna Jay representing the Dark Order in the women's division as part of the Deadly Draw, the AEW Summer Women's Tag Tournament. You have a finger in every pie. You feel like a big deal. So put Shayna Baszler in the Hurt Business? Yeah, I think she... She does kind of fit the vibe of what's going on in that group. 
but you know, she also seems like a lone wolf and someone who doesn't really need a ton of help either. So I don't know what you do, but uh, it's an interesting idea nevertheless. Speaking of AEW, however, I spent the last 34 minutes just going in on what I didn't like about WWE this week. I have a ton to tell you about what I loved, and that was this week's Dynamite. We'll get into it on the other side. Uh, A show that I thought included one of the best matches of the year. Not best TV match, best match, period. I'll tell you all about it when we come back. You'll listen to Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. yourself up off the mat it's time for more wrestle central on sportsnet 650 with justin morissette oh baby pistols at dawn that's cowboy stuff hangman pages theme song to bring us out of break as we transition into talking about this week's aew dynamite which yours truly thought was an outstanding show Justin Morissette with you right here on Wrestle Central. It is Sportsnet 650. So glad to have you back with me this evening as we turn our attention to a show that really greatly entertained me this week. I know I just went in on WWE and the lackluster way that they rolled out Retribution and the kind of up and down experience that was raw underground, but AEW was tremendous this week. I thought it included one of the great matches of the year. And before I tell you about that match, I'm joined on the phone line by a caller. Yes, we are going international once again. And as mentioned, if you would like to be exactly like this gentleman and uh, join the conversation, you can shoot me a text at 650-650 or give me a call at 604-280-0650. But joining us once again is Jake in Chicago, the show going international. Jake, welcome back to Wrestle Central. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Hey, buddy, thanks for taking my call. And uh, let me just start off by saying uh, congratulations to your Canucks. Uh, they looked very impressive uh, this week. Uh, them and my and my Blackhawks uh, look very promising. <laughs> yeah, tip, tip of the cap back in yeah. your direction for the Blackhawks' success as well. Yeah. Why don't we just call it a, a Blackhawks-Canucks Western Conference Final? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jake, you called in about yeah. wrestling. Let's get to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I just want to uh, discuss, uh, you were just talking about AEW right there. I, yeah, still, again, on another another positive uh, delivery from, a, from Dynamite this week. Uh, the, dude, the, 12, the 12-man man tag match was off the charts. It was crazy. Like, you know, uh, man, a lot of cameras and uh, cameras... Uh, trying to get the the best shots of it so I, I thought it was really fun uh it, as well i i did really i really did like the uh, the main event with moxley and uh, darby allen uh, i think they they those guys really sold their asses off uh moxley was selling like his hand broke from the uh from the move allen uh got some great near falls uh yeah just really impressive with that and obviously you can't ignore the the press <laughs> ignore the the debate um it was so entertaining and uh, really impressive by by Orange Cassidy. Like Orange Cassidy, I've I've become such I I have become such a more a fan of him uh, every single week, and he has really sold me a lot uh, this week. And uh, I was really happy about I was really happy that Bischoff didn't get 
uh, a lot of the spotlights. He really um, he really bounced uh, back. He really bounced well with uh, with Orange Cassidy and uh, Jericho right there. Yeah, and you need somebody to fill that void, right? Uh, because Jericho kind of being relied on to carry most of that segment himself with no answers back uh, from Cassidy until the the final question, really. Uh, where he got serious and talked about how important this matchup is to him. Man, I am so sold on this feud. I think we are absolutely getting a third and final match to complete the trilogy at All Out. Uh, and, I, and I hope, you know, my my great fear here, uh, Jake, is that AW somehow sees it in their best interests to return to whatever was supposed to happen or whatever was going on. Uh, with Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson, because that did not seem like it was just a one-off thing. It was brought up in consecutive weeks after the fact that Jericho felt he had unfinished business with this guy. Uh, you know, you had Henry Cejudo talking in, in wrestling media about a month ago about the fact that AEW had opened up the uh, the wallet for him and, and made him a big-time offer to have a marquee pay-per-view match this year. I don't know what that is, if not a Cejudo versus Jericho match. And I tell you, man, especially coming off of this Orange Cassidy thing that has just been red hot and could not have been handled better, I have absolutely zero interest in that. Especially uh, Henry Cejudo coming off of his uh, his, his MMA run and getting um, and having those uh, championship runs, like and then having you know have, having to train for wrestling in such short notice. I'm not sure about that, so. Yeah, it's going to be, I don't know about that. Um, also, uh, another thing, uh, you want, uh, can I um, touch on NXT if you don't mind? Yeah, I would love it if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, the show Wednesday was good, but, uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, I might be in the minority here. I was not a fan of... The way the, the show went off the air? Pac- yeah, of the punts made by, Pac- by Pat McAfee. Uh, on to Adam Cole. Like, you know, it, it, look, here's the thing. Here's why this rubs me the wrong way. Go off, Ken. So, y- you, have NXT, you have NXT that has prided itself as being the the non-carny, uh, no bullcrap uh, branch of the WWE brand and, and, and prided itself on having, like, you know, p- great pure wrestling, intriguing storylines, and then you got this, you know, celebrity angle. If you could argue, if you could, if you can call it that, uh, just felt so out of place for me. And like, you know, regarding look, look Pat McAfee, like I don't know if this is gonna make. I, I have no idea if this is even gonna make any headlines uh, on the mainstream because, like, look, he's a look, he's a great host. Uh, he may be an NFL punter, but to me, as well as to many in the wrestling audience, uh, he is just the the guy in the pre-show panel for me. So I'm, yeah. I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, it feels like the stink of the main roster kind of rubbing off on NXT a little bit, right? And I do understand yeah, okay. that you're in a position right now where you don't necessarily want to burn through all your best stuff without a crowd necessarily. But, like, what an enormous step down this is for Adam Cole, mm-hmm. who goes from a 13-month reign with the NXT title as essentially the greatest champion in the history of the brand and his very first program coming off of that reign is with a guy who's to call him a part-timer would be an insult to part-timers he's a no-timer he's never even wrestled before he's not a wrestler look they got some real pop and and media coverage out of adam cole's appearance on the pat mcafee show 
a couple weeks back, maybe close to a month ago now, where there were people that were really wondering if is this a work or do these guys legit hate each other? And when you do have that kind of chatter in mainstream media, I understand the appeal of perhaps looking at that as a matchup. But for SummerSlam weekend, and look, I know this isn't a typical SummerSlam, uh, I this feels like so ridiculous to me. And it, you know, <laughs> the reason it had buzz is because it existed on McAfee's show, where you don't expect a, a work, right? There was no buzz coming out of Wednesday because everyone knows this is fake, you know? So you immediately remove the only interesting thing that even existed in this feud in the first place. I'm very much with you on that. Um, Jake, and and before I let you go, I did want to ask you about one thing because I know you're a huge AEW guy. Uh, you love you some dynamite week after week, and I am going to uh, absolutely uh, crown what I thought was one of the greatest things we've seen all year in just a second. Uh, but before I do that and before I let you go, I want to ask you about something that I haven't covered on the show because we didn't have an episode last week, and that's Matt Cardona making his debut in All Elite Wrestling. Uh, are you a fan of that, or is it just perhaps uh, another uh, WWE guy coming over to to take up space on, on the AEW undercard? I, I was hearing uh, from uh, from the Observer that uh, this is this is just going to be a short time deal with uh, Matt Cardona. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, uh, yeah, like I, I, he still has a Zack Ryder stench to me, um, in, in my opinion, but. Uh, it, yeah, just uh, maybe he's gonna have a few uh, like a short-term feud with Cody, and then he get jobbed out, and then all that. So I'm not really sure. So um, yeah, not really a fan of that. Uh, just uh, one more thing uh, before I uh, before I go. Uh, I gotta say, uh, Wednesday night uh, to me is has really become the mecca of television professional wrestling, uh, in my opinion. Like you know, getting to use my remote and just to flip back and forth with AEW and NXT on on the USA and. Uh, uh, TNT networks. It's so it's so fun to watch. You know, I was born in 1997, and I didn't get to experience the Monday Night Wars. Um, so it was really uh, I'm really having a fun time with that uh, uh, these days. Like I, I'm not sure if it's like the same thing in Canada because uh, I, I'm guessing NXT is not on Sportsnet uh, Wednesday night. So. No, it is not. We have we have Wednesday night hockey, unfortunately, and as a result, NXT airs as a compressed one hour show on Fridays before SmackDown. I actually kind of like it because it gives me the best stuff without having to sit through a two hour show. And when there is just the the pure volume of wrestling that we are subjected to week after week, I don't mind the filler being cut out of NXT on a weekly basis. But yeah, we are definitely missing something, not being able to uh, enjoy what you guys do below the border there, Jake, and that's flip back and forth every single and Wednesday great that night. The TSN is really backing AEW uh, really uh, really good because uh, you know they haven't had wrestling uh, in so long, and it seems like they're really supporting them. So good for them. <laughs> <laughs> They're the opposition, so I can't comment on that, but uh, Jake, <laughs> okay. I, I, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks for uh, for chiming right. in. Thanks for taking my phone call, man. Hope you have a good night. You too. Always a pleasure. Um, I'm surprised to hear, though, that Jake was not as high on Matt Cardona being in AEW, because to me, that's a perfect example of what I think is wrong with WWE on a weekly basis, and what was so right about Dynamite this week and that is that everybody feels like a star on AEW. The emphasis is on the talent at all times. It's about guys going out there and getting themselves over. 
And I think Matt Cardona has really done a good job of that. He reminds you exactly why he was so popular as Zack Ryder some 10 years ago and reminds you of the big problem with WWE at the moment. Why did they feel the need to throw all this stuff at the wall this week and try to change things up and come up with something dramatic and new because they've forgotten how to create stars. And Matt Cardona, does he feel like a main event star? Not necessarily, but he is somebody exciting. And you remember how great he was, that this guy should have been a main event level talent within WWE uh, back when he rose to popularity through the internet. But of course, if it's not Vince McMahon's idea, Vince McMahon doesn't want to go for it. People getting over organically is like a slap in the face to the WWE machine, even though that's what professional wrestling is all about. And we saw it on display in no better place to me this week than in what I thought was one of the best matches of the year. And it was mentioned in the in the call there at the beginning when Jake was running down all the things that he loved about Dynamite this week, that 12-man tag match that opened up the show. And a 12-man tag should be chaos. Heck, you go back one week earlier on Dynamite, the way Dynamite opened up two weeks ago, we had a 10-man tag match with the inner circle taking on uh, the best friends, uh, along with uh, Orange Cassidy and Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Ten men, two fewer than we saw in the opener this week, and I thought that ten-man tag was an absolute mess. Just bodies everywhere, hard to follow, not a ton of real storytelling. Maybe the difference is that when it comes to producing matches of that style, there are none better, maybe none better all time than what we are currently seeing from the Young Bucks, because you know every time there's a big multi-man tag match like that that the Bucks are involved in, Matt and Nick Jackson are producing that match. Matt and Nick Jackson produce most of the Battle Royals in AEW as well. They just have an incredible mind for multi-man tag matches, and I thought that was on display big time in a 20-minute opener that could not have been hotter to open the TV on Dynamite this week. It was the tag team champions of Kenny Omega and uh, Hangman Page, joined by their elite buddies of Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, joined as well by Cash Wheeler and uh, what's his, Dash Har- Dax Harwood. Sorry. I, I still want to call them Dash and Dawson. I always want to call them the Revival. FTR. Where you're, you're good guys on the uh, the babyface side of the ledger. On the other side from them, six members of the Dark Order. And the Dark Order is really working for me right now. Uh, it helps that they've taken the Mr. Brody character away from being just a straight satire of Vince McMahon. And he's kind of his own animal now. And there is a, a viciousness to him that is genuinely scary. Uh, you know, you you've... You've essentially created this stable of heels that has gotten a much-needed boost as well from the return of uh, the Super Smash Bros, Evil Uno and uh, Stu Grayson, who, of course, don't go by that tag name anymore, but two good Canadian kids from the Toronto indie scene who are, are doing very, very well and doing a lot to legitimize this act at the moment. But there is talent up and down that side. You know, uh, They are on some level the Putty Patrol as well, you know, you had uh, uh, Alex Reynolds and I call him Long John Silver. I don't even remember what his real name is. Something Silver. Might even be John Silver. Uh, 
as the tag team taking on Cody and Matt Cardona this week, those are Putty Patrol guys. Those guys are out there to get clowned and make the baby faces look great. But the actual guys that matter in the Dark Order do look very, very good in the ring. I thought five, who I believe is Alan Angels, if I'm not mistaken, looked outstanding in this multi-man match. Is a guy who could sell real well, being the guy being beat down by the babyfaces as the heels awaited their hot tag. But also when it was time for him to lay an offense, he looked good. Colt Cabana looked great. Brody Lee is about as intimidating as it comes. There was so much talent on display in this match, and that's just the the heel side that made the Dark Order look good. On the babyface side, every single guy on that babyface team came out shining like a diamond. This was a star-making show up and down. I thought you had star-quality performances from Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho uh, in their debate. I thought you had a star-quality performance uh, from MJF, certainly in the backstage stuff where his character right now basically feels like Colin Farrell in Widows, this entitled politician who feels that being an alderman or a city councilman or what have you is his birthright. Uh, just substitute that with the AEW world title, and that's essentially uh, <laughs> what MJF is right now, this evil politician dying to win at any means necessary. Uh, he was great, but every guy, every baby face on that tag team uh, match that opened the show, whether it's Kenny Omega, who didn't shine as much as the other five guys, but also probably doesn't need to be elevated as much as they do either. Hangman Page had maybe the best hot tag of the year, maybe the best hot tag in years. The Young Bucks looked outstanding, but best of all, FTR looked incredible in their entire portion of that match. Everybody came out of it looking great. Before we call it a night, though, uh, we heard talk of it on the call earlier. Uh, I do want to play a quick segment of the the debate that went down between Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho this week, moderated by none other than Eric Bischoff, which gave us this moment of great comedy that echoed a similar segment from the comedy Old School. I'm sure this one's going to really register here with Mr. Cassidy, but uh, global sea levels have been rising over the past century, and the rate has increased in recent decades. What are your thoughts on this very serious global situation? What? Bishop, what are you talking about? That's got nothing to do with this situation. Next question. Mr. Cassidy? <clears throat> sea level continues to rise at about the rate of one-eighth of an inch per year. A higher sea level enables storm surges to push further inland and therefore increase the extremely dangerous flooding in coastal communities. Failure to minimize our fossil fuel use and reduction of carbon emissions could be devastating to the estimated 40% of the population of the United States that lives in these coastal communities and globally eight of the world's largest 10 cities. Thank you. I just blacked out what happened moment from old school, but I love that from Orange Cassidy. The answer that won him the debate against Chris Jericho this week, uh, a great moment. I feel like AEW television is leaning heavy into these political-themed segments at the moment, and I know it's an election year, but because of the pandemic, 
it doesn't feel as timely or as, uh, I guess, thematically appropriate as usual. This doesn't really feel like an election year at the moment, even if it is one. So they keep going back to this again and again. We got a State of the Union from MJF last week as well that I thought was very good. They're working. They're great segments. And like I said, I really like this MJF character right now, but maybe hitting this theme a little too hard. Even if I guess it's timely and it, it like... In normal circumstances, if you had written this angle out in advance like six months ago, I would totally understand it. But right now, it feels a little bit weird to me. I'm going to take one last peek here at the text line. And before we go, uh, and that'll do it, I guess. No, 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 no fresh texts here this evening on the show. But uh, I will talk to you again next week when hopefully I have a bit more things to, a bit, bit, bit more to be positive about than what I had to be positive about tonight. And look. Like I said, that 12-man tag match, if you didn't watch this week's Dynamite, find yourself a way to go back and watch it because uh, there's no other word for it other than Dynamite. Crackling, electric, incredible. One of the best matches of the year, a 12-man TV match that AEW gave away for free this week. Uh, Speaking of giving away for free, that's always what you pay to listen to me every single Sunday. And fingers crossed I'll be back to do this all over again next Sunday night. I guess it entirely depends on the Vancouver Canucks playoff schedule when they begin their first-round matchup against the St. Louis Blues this coming Wednesday night. Uh, But maybe next week, maybe not. Might be a couple weeks until I talk to you again, whatever it happens to be. I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette. A pleasure spending my Sunday with you this evening. Hope you feel the same. Until next time, you've got it locked in on the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650.